Evening, everybody. Okay, I'd like to, us to do a little bit of uh, uh, looking into our crystal ball and um, uh, have a go at predicting uh, the future this evening. I, I wonder if any of us can accurately do that. Uh, let's have a go and see. Uh, so if you've got a phone, if you get that out, um, up on the screen, we're going to put a QR code uh, for a Slido link. And, um, and you can uh, get the QR code and get the page up um, on your phone. And here's, um, here's, the, here's the challenge. What will happen by 2050? So go on. Um, that's, the, that's the question, folks. What do you think is going to happen in the next 25 years or so? Throw some suggestions at me. What have, what have you got in terms of predictions? We have at least one person participating at the moment, so I mean, it's, uh, it's, all, ha it's all happening here. Um, Leeds will be relegated, yes, spot on. Uh, driverless cars, Newcastle win everything going, brilliant. Uh, no more petrol cars, there's a car. Nurses will hopefully get a pay rise. I wonder if that was a nurse who did that one. Flying cars, there's a real car theme, isn't there? Donald Trump back in power, oh dear. Uh, Giant chickens will kill KFC. Um, the quayside will be underwater. Um, it's coming home. Um, okay. <laughs> Government will be gone, right? Is that a threat? Um, <laughs> global sea levels rise by... Chelsea relegated off only. Um, I think, is, is, that, is, that, is, that enough? is that enough for now? Uh, <laughs> 2020's fashion will be back in style. I like that. That's great. Okay. Right, giant moon exploding world. We could probably do this all night. I think that's probably, let's, let's cut that um, for now. Um, actually, wait, yeah, sorry. Actually, well, we, we've got that on record, right? It's in, it's in the Slido. I, I wonder, I mean, what, what do you think? You know, we come back in 25 years' time, those of us who are still alive. <laughs> um, uh, what do you think? You know, do you think we will have been looking back at that and go, yes, nailed it? I don't know. I, I think the future is harder to predict than we might think. Like what about in the early days of the internet, 1995? Uh, this fellow called Robert Metcalf, he said, I predict the internet will soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996, catastrophically collapse. Mr. Metcalf, of course, had to eat his words. Literally, as during a speech at the 1999 International World Wide Web Conference, he blended up uh, the column in which he wrote that prediction, along with some liquid, and drank it on stage. Oh, what about John Watkins, the curator of mechanical technology at the Smithsonian Institution, who in, in 1900 looked forward 100 years in the, to the future and predicted the demise of the letters C and X and Q. Poor old C and X and Q. I mean, I, I kind of wonder, why not Z as well? But um, he said, they will be abandoned as unnecessary, predicting that we'd move to more kind of phonetic spelling. And interestingly, that Russian would be the world's second most spoken language. The future is hard to predict, folks, isn't it? Actually, let's face it, it's impossible to predict. Which is why many come to Daniel chapter 11 and scratch their heads. Because here we find God not making a handful of predictions 25 years into the future, but 135 predictions, all of which were subsequently fulfilled. 
400 years into the future. Judging by the dates Daniel gives, he is writing around 535 BC. And here in Daniel 11, he's, he's having this vision. <laughs> this is where he's getting these prophecies from. And an angel is telling them to him. The same angel that was speaking to him in Daniel chapter 10, if you were here last week. And he's giving him a guided tour of the future. So hold on to your seats, folks, because we're going to go through 400 years of human history. As in verse 2, the angel says, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. And sure enough, Cyrus, the king of Persia, was succeeded by these guys. And the last of them was Xerxes, who we can read about actually in the book of Esther in the Bible, as well as elsewhere in history. And he was indeed exceedingly rich. And he did indeed stir up trouble against Greece. But that was a big mistake. As history tells us that the Greek navy so mauled the Persian fleet that Xerxes was forced to beat a hasty retreat with his tail between his legs. And that was pretty much the beginning of the end for the Persian Empire. And so the focus then shifts to Greece in verse 3. Then a mighty king shall arise, we're told. As in 334 BC, Alexander the Great came to power. And he did indeed rule with great dominion and do as he wills as, as Greece under Alexander the Great swept across continents all the way up to northwest India. But even then as he was planning, uh, kind of about a decade later, he was planning new conquests. He was struck down with illness and he died in 323 BC. And he was succeeded by four generals to whom his empire was divided and distributed, just as verse 4 had predicted hundreds of years before. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. You still with me? Hang in there. As the next 16 verses, is focused, uh, 16 verses focus in on the first two of those kingdoms that Alexander the Great's empire was divided up into Syria in the north and Egypt in the south, which the angel helpfully and without a hint of originality calls the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. And by the time we get to verse 6, the king of the south, Ptolemy II, he, he fancies a spot of romantic diplomacy. As we see, after some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, which is exactly what happened in 250 BC. As Ptolemy II gave his daughter Bernice in marriage to Antioch, Antiochus II, the king of the north, under the agreement that Bernice, once she had a son, he would become the ruler of Syria. Only there was a slight hitch with that plan as Antiochus' first wife didn't really like it. So she had Bernice and her son liquidated and she also apparently bumped off Antiochus also. 
But once again, Daniel 11 had foretold this. As the rest of verse 6 says, but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But Benice's brother, Ptolemy III, verse 7, a branch from her roots, he's from the family tree, he will arise to take her place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. Which history once again tells us exactly what happened. Now, don't worry, don't worry, folks. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. I could do, but there's a handout um, on the, one of the display racks on the way out that shows you the full kind of outline and breakdown of, of, of history through Daniel chapter 11. I mean, I was seeing it in your eyes there, or at least some of you, your eyes there, you're going, oh, Ken, oh, Ken, listen, if I'd wanted to do GCSE history, I would have stayed at home tonight. But... The question is, why am I telling you this? <laughs> why is the Bible telling us this? Well, for this reason. To strengthen our faith. For as we look back to see how what the angel predicted and how it came about exactly as God had revealed it through the angel to Daniel, we see that God's word can be trusted. I mean, if you're anything like me, I mean, surely sometimes you, you, you come to the Bible and you go, why do we put so much weight on this old and <laughs> pretty difficult to understand book, not least if it's a chapter like Daniel 11? Well, here is one of the reasons why. Because in it, the author of the universe looks down history for us and tells us, I know what's coming. Because if you're going to be God, you've got to be able to call it, haven't you? And God does that time and time again in the Bible. So Micah 5 verse 2, uh, God predicts that his Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem, which is a tiny little place about the size of Benwell, and, and yet that's exactly what happens. Zechariah 11, he, he predicts that his Savior would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and hey, bingo, once again, it happens. Jesus fulfills 60 major Old Testament prophecies and over 300 in total. And that's how we can know that God is God and that the Bible is his book because he calls it over and over again. It's interesting that in the Quran there is no clear fulfilled prophecy so how can you trust that book to be from God? If it's written by God, why does it not have one single fulfilled prophecy? Of course, the Bible says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And he is. Remember meeting a lad who came to faith because an American student took him through every single fulfilled prophecy in the Bible. It took them some time and totally did this guy's nut in. He couldn't believe it when they went through all these prophecies. There's so many he went. How, how could this be? And so he went and checked it out by himself. So the next time he, he met, he went, this is incredible. This is true. And so the only conclusion I can come to is that this is a divine book, and I have got to go where it leads me. Folks, God tells us what the future holds, and only he can do that. 
And so every line of this chapter of the Bible and every chapter of the Bible is there to strengthen our faith as God pulls back the curtain of history and says, this is what's going to happen. So let's take a moment, I think. I think it'd be great just to take a moment to, to marvel and wonder and praise God for just how amazing he is. Let's do that in song as we stand to sing, Behold Our God. So we've seen in this chapter of the Bible, it's there to encourage us that God's word can be trusted. But it's also there to warn us that God's rule will be challenged. And when that happens, things can get really uncomfortable for those who do trust in God's word. So for over 100 years in verses 5 to 20, the kings of the north and the kings of the south, they go back and forth having their little merry ding-dong. And as they do so, God's people are stuck right in the middle in Jerusalem (laughs) with all of the conflict raging around them. But Then suddenly in verse 21, we're introduced to someone who's called a contemptible person, which again history tells us was a fellow called Antiochus IV. And now the conflict comes right to God's people, not around them, but right to them, because boy, does Antiochus go after God's people. He would uh, get rid of the high priest in verse 22, or, or as he's referred to there, the prince of the covenant. He would force them to take part in pagan festivals, trying to get them to, verse 30, forsake the holy covenant. And then in verse 31, his forces take over the temple and they abolish the daily sacrifice. And they set up an altar in the temple, not for the worship of God, but for the sacrifice of children and for the blessing of orgies. It is horrific. Can you imagine that happening in our church here or a grand cathedral like St. Paul's Cathedral? They're doing that? Well, that's what Antiochus did and his people did and and to top it all apparently it was even illegal to possess a copy of the Jewish scriptures in those days in fact it was punishable by death if you were found with a copy of the scriptures got your bible you die that's what happened that's what Antiochus said and all of this of course is a direct challenge to God he set his heart against God and his people And this is in the Bible to say to us, well, folks, don't be surprised when it happens to you too. Mark chapter 13, what Jesus says in Mark chapter 13, verse 13, everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's the same warning, isn't it? Sometimes it's going to be tough to be a Christian. It's tough to stand firm when clever scientists make you feel like it's stupid to believe in God. It's tough to stand firm when your family and friends think that you're weird. It's tough to stand firm when people around you don't want to hear about Jesus or even get angry when you try and tell them what you believe. It's tough to stand firm when it feels like you're missing out. And I guess being a Christian in a culture like that feels a little bit risky and insecure and nobody likes feeling like that do they when I was a kid I used to have a Rupert the Bear teddy um, and I could not go to bed without Rupert the Bear 
because Rupert made me feel safe. Crazy, yeah? Really crazy. I, I mean, how on earth could a stuffed toy make someone feel safe? But unless, of course, he was a highly skilled ninja-trained stuffed, stuffed toy, which, sadly, poor old Rupert wasn't. But before you rush your judgment, let me get you to think about your Rupert the Bears. Not your favorite childhood, Teddy. I mean, what is it that you think will keep you secure and standing firm? Maybe it's an education. Maybe a, a relationship. A family. Maybe it's a job or a career. Maybe it's popularity. Whatever it is, let me tell you, it is not up to the job. Because this cast of history in Daniel 11, they all had their Rupert the Bears too. They were making plans and forging alliances and building bigger armies and stronger fortresses. Those were the kind of things that made them feel safe and secure. But, in fact, there's a whole load of buts littered through this passage. Can you see them? Just have a scan through verse 6. But, she shall not retain the strength of her arm. Verse 9. But, shall return to his own land. Verse 14, but they shall fail. Verse 17, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. And so it goes on in verse 18, 19, 20, 24, 29, 32, but the armies get defeated, the alliance is broken, and the plans wrecked and lie in tatters. The tides in the affairs of men and women go in and out constantly rolling like crashing waves, and, and yet without God, they accomplish precisely nothing. And while, yet while in verse 32, some of the believers <laughs> would, would just cave in and pack in their religion and go along with the pagan culture when the heat was on, there's another but, isn't there? As the verse goes on, but... The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Do you get that? God's people stand firm. And as we've seen throughout the book of Daniel, if you've been here for this series, standing firm isn't about being brave and heroic. You don't have to have the smarts of Iron Man or, or, or the skills of Black Widow, or the muscles of Dwayne, the Rock Johnson, which of course is, uh, is just, you know, is, is what I've got as well, you know, although I think my tats are a bit better than, better, better than Dwayne's. Okay, that's super distracting now, isn't it? <laughs> but you don't need any of that to stand firm. You just need to know God. The only way to be secure in life and to stand firm is to know God, which is why in the midst of all the suffering and persecution of God's people, do you notice what wise believers are doing? Verse 33, we read it, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. Teach, 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 that's what they're doing. They were helping others understand that, that though they might suffer for believing in God in a world that is hostile to him, it will only be for a little while. As verse 33 says, some days, 
And they will receive help from God, as verse 34 promises. And God was, verse 35, refining, purifying, doing something good through their trials to make them stronger. And again, in verse 35, there is an end. There will be an end to their trials and their suffering. Distress will be followed by deliverance because God is in complete control. He will bring down proud men and women. They may look like the ones who've got it all together now, having the time of their lives, but they will be swept away. Whilst for the believer, for, for you, let me encourage you this evening, if you feel like the waves of opposition are crashing all around you, let me encourage you, you can stand firm, knowing that God has got you, knowing that God is for you, knowing that God will never let you go, he will never fail you or forsake you, knowing that he will bring you safely through to his eternal kingdom, knowing that he has promised this and that his word can be trusted. Knowing it all because Jesus died and rose again to make it possible. So in the midst of the trouble and the pressures, be wise and preach to yourself. Preach these truths to yourself. I mean, you may even want to do that, standing in front of the mirror tomorrow morning before you head out into the day, <laughs> speaking truth to directly to yourself. Even better, doing it with an open Bible. Speaking to yourself the promises of God. Getting firmly embedded in your heart and your mind so you can face the challenges of the day. And teach these things to others as well so that they can learn to stand firm. That's one of the reasons it's so important to, to come to church and to come to encounter or go to our, our small groups, whatever groups they might, might be, so that we can bless and encourage others by teaching them. You need to go not just for your own sake, but you need to go so that you can encourage others. Look for opportunities to do that. I think this is also why it's so important to be in those groups, to be at churches, so that those who are older, wiser in the faith, more mature, they can help you understand the unseen spiritual realities that Daniel reveals to us here. It's so important to do that, I think, even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. That is when you need the wise to help you understand it, to build you up in faith. Because we need to also keep in mind how all this ends. I wonder if you, like me, you hate a spoiler. Don't you just hate a spoiler? Like, I've got a friend who, whenever he gets a book, he will turn to the final pages to see how it finishes. Who does that? It's ridiculous. Sorry, sorry, sorry if you, you, you do, do, do that, but it is ridiculous. Stop it. I, like, I, actually, I remember preaching during the pandemic um, using uh, Avengers um, Endgame and Infinity War as an illustration. And um, uh, a friend of mine <laughs> texted <laughs> after the service and went, well, that was a great service, but 
Um, thanks for the spoilers. We haven't seen those films yet. Oops. No one likes a spoiler. But if you flick over the page to Daniel 12, we find the most helpful spoiler in all of history because it tells us where every single one of our lives are going. Look at verse 2 of Daniel 12. It, it, it describes the extraordinary things that are going to happen at the end of all things. Daniel writes, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, and, and, and by sleep he, he doesn't mean what we hope we might get a good number of hours of in a few hours' time at the end of the evening. But he means death. Many who fall asleep, who, who sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel is told that death isn't the end of the story for any of us. As a great day of resurrection is coming when all of us will rise and stand before our maker, the Lord God Almighty. And according to this vision, there are only two possible futures that are await us both are everlasting one of them is unspeakably wonderful while the other is unspeakably tragic as for those who have lived ignoring Jesus he, he will give them what they want he never forces himself on anyone he'll say if you don't want me in this life then you will have to live without me in the next one but the tragedy of living without Jesus means living without of all, all of his good gifts to us. Laughter, love, joy, friendship, food, sex, family, sport. All of these things are great good gifts from God. That is what makes hell so hellish. Is that it's life without God. And therefore, life without everything that is good. There will only be shame and everlasting contempt. Such sorrow. I find it hard to, to talk about hell, to, to think about hell. Because there are people I know who are currently rejecting Jesus. But the Bible tells us these things because they are true and because they are so serious. And the Bible also tells us them so that we will take action now and turn back to Jesus before it's too late as the whole reason Jesus came was to save us from sin and shame as on the cross Jesus cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me as sin separated him from God the Father and God the Spirit as on the cross he took on himself the full extent of the hell that awaits us if we reject him which means that even though each one of us, including myself, deserve everlasting shame, I can instead receive through Jesus everlasting life. And that is a wonderful future. It's beyond describing, but Daniel has a go anyway through the vision he receives in verse 3. He says it's like, he describes it as shining like the brightness of the sky above. We will be shining. We love shiny things, don't we? 
And this future is shiny because all of my temporary hurts and frustrations and disappointments will melt into inexpressible and glorious joy. You've got to understand that distress will be followed by deliverance. Weeping is followed by joy. Despair is followed by dancing, heartbreak, by healing, pain by peace, frustration by freedom, as the temporary is followed by the everlasting. So folks, as we finish tonight, we finish this book of Daniel that we've been in these last few months. Let me ask you two questions. Where is your life heading? And whose side are you on? I guess those are the questions that the whole of this book of Daniel have been asking us constantly. But they're not small questions, are they? So we need to take, take time to explore them. We need to, take, need to take time to talk them through with others. Let me encourage you to do that. But for now, let me pray them through before we sing again. Let's pray. Maybe you might just take a moment of quiet just to think about what has God been saying to you through his word tonight and what do you need to follow through on in the days to come let's do that now Oh, Father God, we thank you that your word is full of uh, amazing, yes, sometimes difficult things, but we thank you that you give us your spirit to help us to understand them and to help us to see that your word can be trusted. It is true. It makes the most sense of the reality that we see around us. Help us to understand that and to take on board the difficult but incredible challenges that it throws at us too, so that we would not delay and put off thinking these things through and responding to Jesus' incredible offer of peace and joy and love with you, not just now, but all for all eternity. Help us to take advantage of this opportunity now. In his name we pray. Amen.